Welcome to Estradial Illusions. We have a very exciting guest with us today who has had a really exciting career. And this episode, we're going to cover so many different aspects of her career that touches on uh, Marvel, uh, audiobook work, even one of my all-time favorite network shows, The Good Wife. And we have Therese Plummer here to talk with us. Therese, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, so happy to be here. Absolutely thrilled. Um, yeah, I am a working voice actor and uh, as well as film TV stage actor. Uh, and I think what we were talking about first was my work on Iron Man Extremis. Um, I played the scientist Maya Hansen and we did all of the episodes. You can get it on iTunes um, and it is it was my first opportunity to be in a studio with Oh my God. It was so cool. So, uh, you know, the other characters recorded their voices before me and we would be in scenes together. And so I would hear their previously recorded acting in my headphones. And then I would just respond. I would, my acting would have to happen vocally, um, you know, from after hearing what they had done. And it was so trippy because I had just started my career. I was kind of like unsure if this was, but when I heard the final product, my, I was just blown away. It's so cool. Um, and so I make most of my living doing audiobooks, which is a one woman show. <laughs> so I narrate all the books. I'm a storyteller. And then I act out every character in that book. And so depending on the book that I'm telling you, performing for you, it can be, you know, vampires, it can be kings and queens. It can be just run of the mill, you know, male, female, um, all different types of characters and young, old, uh, sometimes animals, <laughs> depending on what the, what the book is. And so that's, that's, uh, that's really, really fun and really, really hard, but really fulfilling. And then also some commercial and some movie stuff. I've done voiceover for that as well. And then, um, acted on the good wife law and order SVU. I'm, I have a part in the upcoming Netflix series, Virgin river, which debuts December 6th. So you can look for me there. Uh, and I had recorded all of those audiobooks. I did all of Robin Carr's series and Virgin River was her first series. And so to be able to have recorded all of those stories and create the voices for each of those characters and the fan base is huge for that series. And then to transfer that to... Netflix and see the, the, uh, the bar and the, the doctor's cabin built up, you know, on set in Vancouver was just such a thrill. It was like, it was so crazy, um, because all of it had been in my head up to that point. Uh, it was just me in a little sound booth creating this world that Robin Carr had written. And then to see it transferred over into uh, a television series was pretty cool. So that was a long way of saying I talk for a living. <laughs> it's great. I, 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 I had been meaning to ask you if you were taking part in, I know it was uh, Talking River was being adapted into a Netflix show, but I wasn't sure. I knew you'd done the audiobook, but that's it. That must be exciting, especially. I know a lot of, uh, as an author myself, I know that uh, the fans can really, uh, those, those kind of, uh, I guess, Easter eggs, if you want to call them, are uh, really, really make the... Uh, hardcore fans happy and I, I think it would be a natural thing to do to give you a nice uh I know Vancouver is absolutely beautiful and I love when stuff's filmed there because uh, uh my mother's side's Canadian so I always like to it's really easy to spot Vancouver and Toronto as a filming location and 
Vancouver is just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It was the second time I was there for work. And uh, the first time I was there talking at some public libraries down there about audiobook narration. And this time to go in and actually work as an actor on set. I mean, it couldn't have been. It's so beautiful. Um, and so this is a plug for Vancouver. If, if listeners haven't <laughs> been there, <laughs> you're downtown, like eating amazing ramen and shopping. And then you've got these majestic mountains, like whatever street you look down, the scenery, the nature is just, it'll blow your mind. As a, uh... As it relates to Vancouver, yeah, I, uh, I'm i always telling my partner that we have to uh, go up there on the West Coast because uh, a lot of the other uh, Canadian spots that I grew up visiting are a teensy bit uh, far away. But to go back to uh, to go back to Iron Man, which uh, I know that we have a lot of comic book fans and Iron Man Extremis really in, uh, it it exists in such a uh, fascinating part of the Marvel world as a, as a motion comic. Did you really, uh, I know a lot of people have to kind of uh, look at, look at a definition of that to really see what it entails. And I, I, for somebody, especially early on in your career, having to uh, uh, record for that, what did you, what did you think about the whole motion, uh, motion comic art firm going in? I honestly, all I had exposure to was the vocal acting of the series. And so I did, they had a TV screen set up. And so I was able to see some of the action scenes, but I didn't see anything until we were completely done. My director, his name was Jay Snyder, and he was on the other side of the glass and he would build up the scene for me. He would tell me exactly what was happening. He's like, okay, so here's where I want you to go with this. And then they would play the opposing character in my headphones and boom, I would just like start giving them the conversation and do it that way. And then they edited everything together, the voice and, and, and the pictures and everything. And when I saw the final product, I, my mind was blown because yeah, it's not like a cartoon. It's not just like, you know, anything I've seen before. It's a straight up comic book brought to life, right? Graphic motion comic brought to life. It was fantastic. Um, and it's pretty violent. My, my friend was like, Oh, yeah. my son loves Iron Man. And I was like, I don't know if this, <laughs> uh, rendition is going to be appropriate for your son. Cause he was really young at the time, but, uh, you know, for adults, it's, it's pretty dope. It's, it, it was, I, that was something that stood out to me too, because when you, when you read even, even comics nowadays, still to the, uh, large extent, the the violent the action scenes are still kind of you know kapow wham all sorts of different uh sort of uh noises so to see that exactly. kind of come, come to life it's like oh wow that's uh the the bridge between what you have to imagine on the page and then seeing that i mean they really they really do nail it and i think it's uh really a lot of fun i would love to see them do a little more of that i know marvel uh they they've as a company, they've really done a lot of uh, great things experimenting lately. I know uh, just following the plans for Disney Plus, seeing uh, all mm, of the excitement. Totally, it, totally. It, you're a Marvel fan yourself? Yes, 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 yes. I, um, well, I was just, I was seeing, I was looking up some stuff before you and I talked today because it's been so long since I did this. It was back in 2008. Um, it says that this was listed as one of the best Iron Man stories, um, oh, this yeah. adaptation. Yeah. 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 It got, it was, it's a six issue story arc from the comic book series, Iron Man. So for any listener out there, that's a Marvel fan, you know, you can find it on, I think it's on YouTube, but I think mostly iTunes. Um, that's where I always downloaded it from. Did you find anything else in your research or was it 
pretty much were those the two. Well, for the um, for the comic for for the extremist series uh, mm-hmm. for for context, it's a really important arc for Iron Man because I think more so than probably any other character, Iron Man Tony Stark has uh, been been kind of molded to to shape the uh, personality of Robert Downey Jr. later. But that arc, and especially when you recorded it, so '08 would have been the year that the first Iron Man came out starting the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which back then I don't think anybody thought it would uh, evolve into the thing that it uh, became today. Uh, As an arc, it did kind of uh, reset the character a bit and establish his, uh, his, his, the power cell that he wears in the center of his chest as a, uh, some fans gonna, I I know it's not the exact power cell. I'm going to get an angry email that no, it's, It wasn't the Barza, but to go in that, that vein of conversation. So, so yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. And also my husband and I just saw the recent Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And so I, I I don't know how you, that, that was, of course that was Marvel, right? That was, that's DC. Oh, I'm so, I'm a a bad person. Stop listening right now. Marvel (laughs) fans. (laughs) But to just to just go in that vein, I'm, I'm going to try to redeem myself right now. I'm so sorry, <laughs> you guys. Um, it, it's, it but but to, to to get into these movies more about the person behind, like because we all saw a lot of these characters already evolved, right? And it's like, oh, well, there's that one, and then there's that one. It's like, where did they come from first, right? And so I would be super interested if more of these movies deal with that those kind of stories. I think that's yeah. so much more interesting. Not that this other stuff isn't fantastic and like super entertaining, but those stories about like them growing up and like the, all that, I think it's brilliant. And I think it's, it's really interesting. What do you think? Well, that's kind of the beauty of the comic books. I, uh, as I've said, I think in the past two uh, episodes we've done, I have been on an absolute comic binge uh, post-surgery because I there was a while where I couldn't really read. My eyes were all out of focus Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I was getting really sick of the screens and I wasn't able to really read uh, novels uh, because uh, there's just too much text and comics were the perfect medium because they got the uh, all the colors where you're able to, uh, I mean, it brightens up a hospital room or even, Mm. you know, my uh the highlight of my day going outside was typically like a walk around my apartment building, which is kind of uh <laughs> I, I love downtown Long Beach, but it's kind of it gets blah after a while. Yeah. So comic comics were able to 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 do that. And for a motion comic, it's cool because they are they are very character driven uh stories in the comic. And they have that luxury. You're you're having a story that's unfolding you get a installment either every two weeks or once a, once a month, sometimes a little bit more sporadic, but they're told, they're told over these years and they retain this kind of history. So there's kind of a, the, you, you want to lay down a heavy investment in the character because you're, you're spending a while. It's not like a movie where you have uh, two hours or so, and you've got all these other considerations and you've got to, you have to invest. And I, I imagine as, as an audiobook narrator over the, uh, you know, lengthy period of time it takes to re- uh, record those. You you also have to invest in in these characters because you 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 just have so much more time that you're on the journey with them. Yes. Oh my God. And I love how you just vocalized that. That was so beautifully done. Um. Yeah. You really are, and it is a journey, and especially when it's a series. 
Uh, you know, which is why showing up in Vancouver and seeing all of these sets built of this place that I had narrated and created and had all these scenes in from the Virgin River series was so freaking spectacular as an artist to like, first of all, bring it to life through people's ears, right? Just vocally. That's all I was able to act was through my voice. I'm like, you know, I can't like do the stage or the film acting, but then to be able to, to go to Vancouver and, 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 and actually act with my body, right. Which is what I was trained to do. It's, it's, it's all storytelling, but it's also, I feel so connected to these characters and to meet the actor that's playing Jack and the actress that's playing Mel and the actress that's playing Paige and the other actor that's playing preacher. These, I did all of their voices by myself. <laughs> in my sound booth for the listener. And then I got to meet the individual actors doing it for television. So what, what, what it really brought home for me is what an intimate art storytelling is through audiobook narration, like how brilliant that is and why that's the oldest form in oral tradition of, of, um, is storytelling and, and why that has lasted through all the years. And for that to have graduated through, film and TV and stage. I mean, it just, it totally makes sense, but it's, it's the absolute escape. And my mother has claimed that she will not get out of the car in her garage because the chapter isn't over. And she's mesmerized by someone telling her a story through an audiobook or through something else. And I've heard other fans write in emails like that too. And you know, I have that experience of, of being that storyteller, but I also have the experience of sitting down and looking at a graphic comic, at a comic book, and and being told this story through illustration and through words, right? So I guess I'm just having a moment right now, and I'm sorry that I'm like going on and on, but <laughs> of how breathtaking it is, storytelling, and it, it, it covers every, every sense, and it covers every facet of like who we are as human beings. I mean, it can reach you in so many different ways. And I just think, I just hope it never goes away. I, I agree completely with what you were saying. I always say when uh, people ask me what uh, my favorite books are, uh, unsurprising to a lot of our listeners, the George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, which mm. served the basis for Game of Thrones, um, are, are some of my favorites. But my two favorite Books uh, outside of that are uh, George Eliot's Middlemarch and uh, Tolstoy's War and Peace, which are both long narratives. And why I like that is um, when you spend a lot of time with a character as opposed to something that's, you know, two to three hundred pages, uh, you you. At least in, in my mind, you think you start to think of them in more of a, a fluid, active sense. It's not so much beginning, middle, end. It's more yeah. of a lot, lot of middle Mm-hmm. And with the audiobooks I've listened to, because they're, uh, you know, it takes so long to, to get through them, you do kind of feel as though, and, and it, with, a, with a narrator who's able to bring these people to life so much, it's not really about the, the, the end where, you know, you get a feeling of satisfaction, I guess, when you close a book. But sometimes when you finish narratives like that, you're, you're actually kind of sad because uh, that, that means that it's over for the time being until you start again or until, the, until there's a sequel or something like that. We really get attached. We re- I mean, it's, it's why the binging 
epidemic of Netflix has become because we don't have to wait that week for the next episode. We get to just like indulge and have it. But even when that season is over and we have to wait for an, like a whole nother season, like with Stranger Things, and we know it's going to be probably a year until then. I mean, there's a real ache until we find some, some other show to fill the void <laughs> in the meantime, yeah. right? But I think there's something to be said about becoming every single character in the books. And I have a community of storytellers that I'm friends with that do this as well. Um, and I, I'm just blown away. I'm blown away. You know, I got to do this multicast narration at Audible recently, and there was about 15 of us in one studio, and we got to all act off of each other. And it was fantastic, but I got to find, I got to hear my colleagues' voices and you never hear them because you're just alone in the studio, you know, bringing everything to life. But to be able to be in a room with them to create this like multi-narration piece, I just was in awe. I was in awe of them. I just, I thought to myself, my God, this is what a cool way to make a living and to bring stories to the world. Like, that is so cool. I don't know how I fell into this. It was a total accident. <laughs> so it's cool that it's been happening for a while. Do you think that your uh, approach changes when you're uh, just recording by yourself versus uh, in, in a room like that with other people? I've read that uh, it can. And the, the, the image that comes to mind right now is uh, Harry Shearer, one of the voice actors on The Simpsons. Uh, he voices... Uh, two of his characters pretty much interact with each other exclusive not exclusively but frequently and mr burns and smithers and i'd read that he records all of their dialogue even though they're kind of different voices he records all of it at the same time he even though he could obviously just just do one at a time and i, I think for rhythm and timing that that would probably make some kind of difference 100 percent, and because every actor brings their energy into the space and so what's so brilliant about stage acting is that you get to play off that energy of the other actor. And so when you get a bunch of voice actors, actors in the same studio, I mean, that's exactly what happens. The energy just has a life of its own and the piece comes to life and we're all acting off of each other. Uh, when I'm by myself, I have my characters acting off of each other, but because it's just me, um, it's a different experience. And I, and, and that's, oh God, that's such a good question. That's such a good insight. It's a definitely a different experience. I got to tell you though, the author will give me all the information I need in order to bring that scene to life. And so, and then it's up to me as the actor to take those little nuggets, take those little hints and create that scene. Um, but they will tell me, they will say someone is roaring or somebody is screaming or someone is whispering or someone is running or someone is being chased. Yeah. And so uh, it's my job now to just, you know, bring all of that to life. But, but again, what's so nice about just playing one character versus all of them is just that energy. You get to, you get to sustain your energy a little bit longer. It's very tiring playing every character in a book. So you got to take lots of breaks. I imagine when you're when you're narrating uh, an entire book and you have to juggle all of the characters. One thing I know when I'm when I'm writing a novel is, uh, you know, you're, you're you've brought every character in it to life. But even even putting aside the the bad guys or I mean, most of my books don't have uh, villains. They kind of have uh, 
I think most of my uh, antagonists rise to the level mostly of just kind of asshole, but um, <laughs> love it. You you kind of you play favorites with with people, and I imagine when you're narrating, you have certain characters you just really bond with, or you know you get the notes and it just resonates with you, and you have to you have to bring such a, a unique energy to still make everybody come alive because the audience is going to say, oh, I like this character, this happened to me, and I I, mm. I say, oh, you like that character, I hate that character, that character's mm. awful. Um, well, I just, I just came from, I love that. I love that. I love talking to writers because I, I got to sit on a panel at BoucherCon in Dallas, Texas a couple weeks ago. And it's like a thriller uh, convention for thriller writers and um, recorded books hosted the panel. And so I was sitting up there with Charlene Harris, who wrote True Blood and all oh, of yeah, the other. Yeah. So I recorded her Aurora Tea Garden series. So most of her series have become television series as well. And very popular as well. But so there was, there was her and then there was, um, Oh God, I'm going to totally space right now. Um, Dick Francis's son, was it Felix Francis? Anyway, there were, there were a number of, of thriller authors on the panel as well. And then there was myself and, and one of the audience asked the question. So when you hear the voice telling your story, is that always the voice you anticipated hearing? And one of the, one of the panelists, one of the authors was like, no, not at all. And he was very, <laughs> very serious about it too. He was like, sometimes the choice the actor makes, I'm not very keen. And I started laughing internally because I was like, I knew it. I, and of course is the, the book is your baby. And as a writer, you know, you spend hours upon hours upon hours creating these stories. And then to have someone take it. Now, now most of the time, the author picks the voice that they want. Okay. So they know going in, they're like, okay, this is great. Tell my story. But then they'll write certain characters. And when they hear it voice, they're like, oh, I wasn't thinking that at all. But what this, what this author said was, it wasn't my idea of what that character would sound like, but it ended up being very interesting. So he went with it. He went with the actor's choice and he was like, and it opened a door to the characterization that I never would have thought of before. So in that respect, it's the storytelling becomes very collaborative. You know, it's not just like, it's my way or the highway. It's now here, go ahead, take my story, perform it. And then the, the author becomes malleable about how it's being told. So that's cool. Did you did you find yourself on the set of Virgin River wanting to constantly give uh, the actors who had <laughs> yes. notes to yourself? Well, I had the best conversation with Preacher and Paige, the actors that played them. And I was like, you guys, I can do so many other characters. What else do you want me to play? And they all started laughing and they said, oh, my God, you did the audiobooks." I said, yeah. And they said, what is that like playing all of the characters? And I was like, it's insane. <laughs> Especially the bar scenes with like six guys getting in a brawl or talking to each other. I said, but it's, you know, here's the thing about storytelling versus acting. Storytelling, you get to give a hint of an accent or of, you don't, you don't go over the top as much, right? It is a performance, but you still have to like maintain your energy and maintain your storytelling so you don't go crazy ham like you could on stage or, um, right. you know, and I think TV and film is the same thing. You kind of, you play it smaller, but you have to, what I always try to remember is I'm in somebody's earbuds. 
So if I'm screaming, that's not enjoyable for someone to listen to. So there's tricks of the trade of how to like maybe direct your scream. You turn away from the microphone, you kind of direct it to the corner of the room versus straight into the mic. Like there's little tricks that I've learned over the 15 years to kind of still bring the energy, but not pop someone's eardrum. As, as, as you were talking, I thought of a great idea for a Netflix show would, would be to, to take uh, one of the books that you had done and kind of like the, I don't know if you've seen the new Paul Rudd show where he plays uh, two different versions of himself, but they should have a, they, they've been releasing a lot of uh, 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 films lately where uh, I guess the ones they're releasing lately were Christmas films, but just to take any, any old film and have the audiobook uh, narrator just play every character, like all of them. Mm. I think that would be, be I think amazing. that would be Difficult to film, but uh, kind of the beauty of the streaming era is you can just turn on uh, turn on whatever service you're on, and they uh, they it's just so innovative. We're living in this even ten years ago in the in the advent of uh, Breaking Bad and all of that, which mm-hmm. will uh, lead me to a, a good wife question. But uh, they were calling that the the golden age of television and just sort of when Netflix was, was starting, they were still calling, uh, still referring to the golden age of television. I could think to myself, give it five years of this sort of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon thing. Uh, we're going to see some stuff that nobody was even dreaming about now. And that's yeah, kind of I agree. the beauty of being a film TV critic. You just, uh, every day. And even, um, we're still, uh, I guess we're in week three or four of the, uh, baby Yoda craze of, of star Wars. And it's just been, uh, we talked about, uh, binging verse verse week to week a little while ago. I think there's still so much of the power in, uh, in, in consuming media over a, a longer period of time versus just, uh, just a day long binge or a two day long binge. I know my mother doesn't agree with that. She'll get through, uh, a season in like the the minimum time required, but I just uh, <laughs> that's great. I, I, I like to have it dispensed. I, I I think that's that's more powerful, and that's also probably why things like Vir- Virgin River have these fans because you've got these people who have invested legitimate the eras of their lives into it, and they they absolutely. They, Absolutely. Well, they've got the book fans, then they've got the audiobook fans, and now they've got, you know, because it's Alex Breckenridge who's playing Melinda, and then there's Martin Henderson playing Jack, Tim Matheson, Annette O'Toole, like just a really great cast of actors that are going to be, and so they'll bring their own fan base as well, but it's, it is, and it, it really, it really is about the fans. I, I, I mention that all the time. I'm like, none of this would be possible if people weren't listening and did you get that nice car outside? <laughs> there's a, there's a, there was a Mustang that just drove by. Uh, people, people, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was so distracting. There, I live in New Jersey now because I commute into the city and there's like these muscle cars that go down the street every once in a while. And I laugh so hard. I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, anyway. Uh... <laughs> I lose my 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 focus so easily. Um no, yeah, this is going to be exciting. Now you said you had a good wife question about um well, with Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, so well, well Breaking Bad made me think of the good wife cuz they kind of uh, aired at the same time and they <laughs> mm-hmm. they were I guess the 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 rise of cable television 
and uh, a lot of my academic writing focuses on uh, the past 20 years of TV. So I tend to get really, really steeped into it. But um, the rise of cable TV kind of began with uh, Sopranos, uh, Sex in the City, and then what uh, FX was doing with like Nymph Tuck, The Shield, uh, that stuff. But when the critics really started to take note, when Breaking Bad became this worldwide phenomenon, although Mad Men on AMC had uh, preceded it and won all the Emmys, and I guess Breaking Bad has really uh, uh, come up as as the the lasting, like, this is the, the great thing that came out of uh, cable television that wasn't either premium or, or streaming, because it was on AMC, but... Uh, while all of that was happening, CBS, a channel that's pretty much known for its really older older demographic, uh, who who aren't likely to then pick up uh, a random th- streaming service and watch uh, something like I don't know, like Doom Patrol or uh, Orange Is the New Black. Uh-huh. CBS does The Good Wife, which is the most subversive procedural. Uh, TV show that I, I think we've we've really had, and it was just such this, this just absolutely beautiful uh, show, which is living on now. It, it it logically kind of made the jump to a streaming service itself. The Good Fight airs on CBS All Access. I always have yeah. to practically <laughs> twist twist people's arms to sign up for it, but uh, it's worth it because it's such a phenomenal show. And you were on The Good Wife on the fifth episode of the whole show on the first season, mm-hmm. which uh, I guess, what, what, what was that like? Mm. Cause it, it didn't have the reputation then, but it was, it was headed for greatness. It was, we were, Oh God, it was, well, just the audition to get in there. Like there's this new show happening and there was like three of us in front of the casting. Do I, I feel like the audition story is the best part, but it was, we were all in front of the casting director and then they called couple of us back and then the producers of of the show were in the room and it was all women and they they saw my piece and then they said can you do it in an Irish accent I said yeah just give me one second and again this is the audiobook stuff having access to an arsenal of accents and characters and being able to just grab these um characters on the fly I think really gave me um so when we got on so I booked it and when I we got on site I played the Irish widow uh, I, I'm in an episode called Crash, where our husbands are on the train crash, and it ends up being, you know, we have to sue and get some money, and, you know, they're giving us the rigmarole. Um, and at the last minute, they were like, we're not going to give an Irish accent, so just just talk in your normal voice, which was super cool. But it was also like, I don't know. It, the, the energy was really, really positive and really exciting, and Juliana Margulies was so nice and so sweet. And we were filming until like one in the morning and we got it done, but it, it felt, you know, the, I, I, I've never been on the first season of anything before, but it, it felt like a little bit like boot camp. Like everyone was just working their asses off, um, and, and giving it their best, their best, uh, you know, acting and, and, and they got it done and it was a complete hit, complete hit. And uh, continued on. How many seasons? Seven seasons. Se- seven, yeah, I believe. Yeah, seven seasons. And then, yeah, like a perfect transition into the good fight, which is she's amazing. Come on, like Christine Bransky, please, yeah. so good. I uh, that that one was my my partner's a lawyer, so I think sometimes she rolls her eyes at whenever I try to show her like old episodes of Boston Legal or <laughs> any, any any 
Although she did say that the the just as an aside that the practice was uh was was actually their stories were pretty uh convincing but the good when I showed her the good fight which is just so surreal uh it it reminded me of how the good wife was was able to retain kind of its case of the week style and yet just completely throw out the rules and it it was the amount of guest cast the the, the impressive guest yeah. cast that they brought yeah. on it seemed like every star was just lining yeah. up to yeah. do that show. Martha and Plimpton I, was I, on I, our episode as well. She was so sweet. Martha Plimpton, she was pregnant oh, in yeah. the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And they, yeah, they had everybody, everybody on there. It was just amazing. Amazing. It was a hit. I mean, and it was so, the timing couldn't have been more perfect with all the crap that was going on. And then even now, fast forward a bunch of years, right? It's... It's like rewatch the good wife. <laughs> it, yeah, it just keeps phenomenal. being pertinent. So yeah, definitely. That that was one of the first shows I was able to say because the the I'm not sure if they're still on it. They probably aren't because it's CBS All Access now. But they used to be on Amazon Prime. They were all available, and that was one where I used I would say to people, look if you want to if you want a show where you can really do a deep binge because that was still in the era of well, we still have the era of 22 episodes a season. It's just the shows that tend to get recommended uh, have the shorter eight, 13 runs, the stuff that you find on Netflix, but the good wife was doing uh, full network seasons of television. I would say you, you want someone to sink your teeth into this one. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. I saw, uh, I sat next to uh, Josh Charles and uh, his wife. I guess she was his girlfriend at the time. Uh, Sophie Flack at a Broadway show. And I looked over and I saw him and I was like, ah, <laughs> Exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> accurate, accurate reaction. <laughs> so cool. Did like, you talk uh, to him or did you did you get a chance? A little a little bit. He's from uh Baltimore where I was born and where my father's from. So and I as a fan of the good good wife, I, I knew he probably was a little creeped out that I knew that. Um, <laughs> but uh he has the or it's, uh, I think the it was when the Ravens were doing well, and uh, I I was in college at the time, and I was just like, oh wow, this is just uh, uh, I think he probably thought I knew him from like Goodwill Hunting or something, mm. but I was like, no, I, I I watch network TV, like the only teenager who does. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it it yeah, it's just such a remarkable show, and I, I you've you've been a part of one of my other uh, all time faves. Um, po you were uh, a voice on uh Pokemon in uh one of the the later seasons who has uh been meaning to ask you about that because that's just such a talk about uh global global phenomenon I have friends in Long Beach who I've met through Pokemon go there's a discord server where we meet to like coordinate times to meet up and it's just remarkable the the reach that that franchise has had and the new game came out about a week and a half ago and it's just uh really really uh such a such an exciting thing to have been a part of it's unbelievable how long this has gone on yes i played fennel who's a scientist who studies about the dream world and she has a younger sister around the age of 7 well she i'm i was supposedly 20 years old <laughs> But she's a friend of Professor Juniper, who's an expert on the dream world. And um, I don't know. I just, it was so sweet. They're like, they're trying to get away 
from all like the male scientists. They're trying to bring in more female scientists. So I think that's where fennel was born. Um, you know, I, I, I sense a theme and I definitely am excited that I have been able to be an artist, a working artist in a time where some really cool female roles have, have occurred. Right. And they're only getting better. You know, I think with everything that's happened and everyone just being absolutely done with this male dominated business. Um, and I'm not male bashing in the slightest, but it's just so refreshing to see these strong, awesome female characters coming up, um, and just being available, but we have so much work to do, but at least we've started at least, at least doors are slowly opening. And, uh, yeah, this was cool. I, I played Fennel. She's, she's so cute. She's so pretty. I love being cartoon characters. <laughs> they're so pretty. They're like, they're nothing what you would ever look like in real life, but it's just, I don't know. There's definitely a little kid in me that enjoys playing, um, cartoons. It's really cool. Yeah. I, Pokemon came out. I think I was in first grade when the show came to America. So that was something that I really, I grew up with and mm. I still watch a lot of the old ones. Uh, you were part of the, the black and white season, which it's so hard to keep track of them. There's so many, and there's so many different Pokemon now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's just, it's remarkable. And even, um, I've been on a bit of a nostalgia trip lately because, uh, Disney plus came out and for, for fan sided, I did a couple articles uh, one on on the '90s cartoons that were brought uh, that that were made available for the first time now uh, in in God knows how long since probably the DVD releases. But um, and then I also did a feature on Jim Cummings's tenure as as Winnie the Pooh. So mm, that's uh, wonderful. But, well, a lot of that really uh, I compared him to uh, Hugh Jackman's time as as Logan Wolverine in the uh, the X Men series, mm-hmm. and he had a like a 17 year tenure but jim cummings has been voicing Pooh since uh my entire life he's been doing it since 1988 and for christopher robin which was uh i don't know if you've seen it it's it's kind of a uh a legacy film in the sense that christopher robin's older he's kind of forgotten the dream of the hundred acre wood and I mean, I bawled my eyes out. I cry very easily watching things. <laughs> I um, do too. I cry at commercial at soap commercials. I did watch that on a flight, and I I sat there by myself sobbing, eating pop chips on the, and I asked for extra bags because I knew I needed to emotionally eat. <laughs> yeah, but it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And yeah, please, I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh no no no! It 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 really. I I was just about to say I can, I can't actually I've. Declined my college roommate, who's kind of a, a stoic guy. Uh, he, he said he, he cried on a flight watching it, and uh, I, I haven't been able to watch it on a flight because it's just it's it's so emotionally powerful. But it also speaks to the voice actors are not people who uh, we generally think of as you know a list superstars, mm-hmm. but they're capable um, of of developing these longstanding uh, relationships with people, and you in the audiobook community going going to conventions. I mean, that's cons are are, are just the absolute. It's like adult. Uh, they're like mini adult like costume, almost like proms. Almost they're like things for adults to congregate and. Uh, that's totally right, and, and they kept referring to VoucherCon as Comic Con for thriller for thriller fans, and so it was just. I mean, people were just going ape when they would meet, you know, an author that they loved, and it was just. I mean, it was so, it's so fun to be a part of this world, you know. Um, and I have been to. Have you been to Comic Con? Do you do that? 
Do you go? I do not do San Diego Comic Con because it's just such a such a zoo, mm. and uh, I. I, I we're gonna do uh, WonderCon this year, and uh, Long Beach Comic Con is a nice small one that's uh, like two blocks away from my apartment that I always love to do. But um, it's it, what I like about uh, cons is you just get you get that time with 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 people to see to see how these uh, fandom they they mean so much to people. And I, I basically I used to as an as an adult i spent a lot of time at night in in bars hanging out mm-hmm. and making friends that way but um in my transition i don't really drink anymore mm. and you sort of think about where do you where do you find people who are like sort of quote unquote your tribe after that cuz bars i mean they're a lot of people don't really like bars but then there's also like the cheers aspect of mm-hmm. it of mm-hmm. you know the people who all their friends come with that so to have to one beauty of cons is you just you get people who sort of uh you know speak your language to for lack of a better word again it's a community it's like a community of of people having the same like you know liking the same things and having great conversations and i mean i ran into a couple attendees at the new york airport when i was flying out and instantly oh what books and and the conversation was instant and it was so so sweet it's like it's a it's a commonality and and it creates community and I think that's what everyone is looking for and I think that's what storytelling is able to bring people and I know it's kind of isolating at times you know just sitting there and reading a book and you can escape into their world I mean I swear to God I know this is a total segue thing but I watched I rewatched every season of Sex and the City and my brain <laughs> became convinced that that was my social life. I was like, oh, I got to get home to the girls. And my <laughs> my boyfriend at the time was like, you're watching a show. And I was like, uh, wh- no, no, you don't understand. You don't get, like, I was not going out with real people to real things. Because I was like, oh, no, 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 I have things to do. Because Samantha and, and all of them had things to do during the show. It was bizarre. And so I think sometimes storytelling and that kind of world can be a little isolating. And I think... What everyone is searching for is a connection and, and those, those comic cons and those conventions and, you know, podcasts and talking and fans, it's all about bringing us together. It's all about connecting. And, um, I think at the end of the day, that's all anyone really needs. Don't you? Yeah, I, I complete, well, there was really an entire generation that, that felt the same way about, uh, Carrie, Samantha, (laughs) Charlotte, and. Oh, am I forgetting? There's one other one. Carrie, Samantha, uh, Charlotte, and um, Cynthia. Uh, Cynthia Nix. Did we say Cynthia's character? No, she's she's Charlotte. Oh no, she's not Miranda. Miranda. Oh my God. The vixen. Oh, I can't believe we forgot that. <laughs> the only, the only member of the LGBT community, and I almost forgot her. Uh, <laughs> Cynthia Nixon ran. Forgiven. Ran for. Uh, ran for. Yeah, she ran for governor, and uh, yeah, but it it. it there, there are a lot of shows like that that um, sort of aim to be a uh, substitute for Friends, uh, the show Friends, literally to to name another. But yeah. uh, it, it it is it is important to find find your community outside of that, and um, it, it's so great to hear that you've you've been able to you know, connect with people who there. There's no greater feeling as a creator to hear that your work has impacted somebody else. So to, to have that experience is just there's nothing like that. no there isn't and 
if I can, I know we're coming down to the hour, but just two quick stories about that, because, you know, we have our own awards and award ceremonies. We have the Audi Awards, which is our industry's Oscars or Tonys or whatever you want to call it. And it's always nice to be recognized or nominated and all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what made me understand the importance of what I'm doing as an artist. Um, I received, I receive fan mail every once in a while, either through Facebook or through my website or, you know, just in random ways, Instagram, Twitter. And this woman told me that her mom was a voracious reader and later in life lost her sight. And she was extremely depressed. She was just so bummed out. She's sitting in her house and she's just like, I don't even know why I'm going on and all this kind of stuff. Like just that real dark. And the daughter went to the library where you can get audiobooks for free in CD format and came home and started playing the audiobooks for her mom. She sent me this email and basically told me she watched the light come back on in her mom's eyes, um, listening to these performances of the books. And it was, you know, there's always been reading for the blind and um, recording for the blind. But to have someone send you an email about work that you've done that had an impact on another human being, I was like, that's it. That's the award right there. And then I had one other exp- uh, exam. I did a quick um, panel with Charlene Harris again. I've done a couple things with her so far, but it's such a, such a sweetheart, by the way. Like just a shout out to her. She's like the sweetest <laughs> Southern lady. And she's like, well, I don't have any hobbies. So I just write books. She's uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, hysterical. We're doing this quick event um, at Books and Brews, and it's Johanna Parker who narrated all of her True Blood. It's myself who narrated all of her Aurora Tea Garden and Charlene Harris. Big crowd at question and answers, all this kind of stuff. Event ends. It was total success. We're all, you know, drinking, mingling and stuff afterwards. And this huge guy comes up to me. And I'm a little intimidated because I'm I'm not a huge person, but this guy is like a big man. And he comes up and he says, I want to tell you something. And I was like, yes, sir. He's like, I want to say thank you. And I was like, for what? He's like, I served in the war and I got that PTSD and I ride a truck now. I drive a truck and I listen to your stories about six, seven, eight hours a day. And you calm me down and you help me breathe. And I want to say thank you for that. And I don't know how I was still standing because, I mean, you're saying you're a crier, right? I mean, I was like, I was a puddle on the ground. And I said, may I hug you? And he's like, oh, bring it in, little lady. And he basically (laughs) squeezed my ribs broken. But it was, it's those two moments of, and so many other beautiful, but those two moments when I was like, because right, we all forget through like, you know, how many likes do I have? How many pokes? How many this? I forget but that's the important stuff. Like that's, that's the gold right there. That's the first prize is like, if you can remember why you're doing what you're doing and the impact it can have on another human being, like that's it. So thank you for letting me tell you those two stories. Thank you. That's really, that's very powerful. Uh, so glad that you shared that along those similar lines, because, um, a, a group, an audience that I know that listen, this, this podcast does, uh, we have our sort of main themes, uh, of that we try to clump our episodes into, but, uh, one of our, one of our sections, uh, that I, I do usually, uh, just by myself is, um, speaking to, uh, the transgender community who many of whom are lis- listeners, 
uh, are, are still closeted or they're not out to a lot of people or they're still trying to figure things out. Uh, sometimes we call them uh, eggs in the, the trans community. But one one thing, one area of the, the transgender experience that I personally have not invested a lot of, uh, I, I've done almost no voice training, which coupled with um, not changing my name, sometimes people are like, are you know are you are you a, a trans woman are you non-binary like they don't get it i have to explain yeah i just you know voice i, I never really feel dysphoria uh, about my voice but a lot of uh trans women spend thousands of dollars sometimes they even actually have surgery on their vocal cords yeah. but um given that you voice so many uh different characters if you could just uh share a little bit of your your process in a way that could help uh people who are trying to uh maybe uh, alleviate a deeper voice or they're trying to sound a bit different. If you have any uh, wisdom that you could impart on our listeners. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for asking me that question because it's, it's beautiful. And it's, it's, I just thank you. Thank you for trusting me to uh, be able to answer that. And it has everything to do with the voice. And so for me as a woman, I will voice a ton of men in these books. And so something that I'll do, this is what I never understood, that men don't speak as fast as women. So men will speak a little bit slower and they don't open their mouths as much as women, <laughs> which, which we at times will, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit right now, but so when I do a male character, I'll kind of bring it, I'll bring it like down into my, into my chest a little bit. Now I have the, I have the benefit of being in front of a $10,000 microphone that's going to pick up. So I don't have to like, you know, uh, you know, hit the nosebleed section and like really, uh, what is it? Project, project, right? Cause that's difficult. Cause that, that's not my natural voice. And it's real deep in my chest at that point. When men narrators have played women, what they have told me, there's nothing worse than trying to sound like a woman. There's no, because it's, it's, that's not you. There's nothing about that's authentic, right? And you can pick up on that immediately. What is something you can do? Soften your voice a little bit. P.S. You have a beautiful voice. Um, oh, it's you. been really, really lovely talking to you, but that's, that's one of the things. It's just maybe soften it a little bit. Um, and just trust that that voice that you were born with and that you have is perfect. It's not, it's not about becoming a character or mimicking anything. It's just about using the exact voice that you were born with and that's it. And if it's a little too deep for you or a little too husky, rusky, whatever you want to call it, maybe just soften it a little bit. My voice has definitely gotten softer and a little bit more broken up over the years of using it so much. I used to be very articulate, right? Really concerned about that kind of stuff. And now it's relaxed a lot. So it kind of, well, you'll have your own personal evolution anyway. So just trust that and trust yourself and trust that whatever's coming out of your mouth is perfect. I really, really, really believe that. You don't have to act like anything other than who you are. I think, yeah, I think that really, uh, that's great advice when people have pointed out, oh, your your voice is a little deeper. And then I say, well, would you prefer it if I talk like this? Yes. No. <laughs> You're like, would you like me to play a character for it? No, no, no. And and the fact that people are even mentioning that is that's so interesting because may I please make a quick plug? I did this book called The Gender Mosaic. Have you heard of it? 
I did see it on your, yeah, I, I, I'm a little familiar with so it. So beyond the myth of the male and the female brain, and it's all about just, you know, the gender stereotypes that we've grown up with, you know, this is a boy, this is a girl, this is a blah, 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 blah. And it was brilliant for me to read because I learned so much because I grew up, I'm born in 1976. I grew up with like girls like pink, boys like blue, blah, blah, blah. And this book brought, broke down so many of the stereotypes about that. And just was like, if you can get anything from this book, just please look at people as other human beings and not, you know, box them or categorize them or anything like that. Like just, just human to human, human to human, just be there. And so that has helped me so much in, in, in just, I don't know. I have all these nephews and nieces growing up and it's like, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to grow up to be. Well, I'm excited to see. I'm going to love them regardless. Like there's no, there's no right or wrong. It's just, it is what it is. And so that's the kind of stuff when I'm given these projects to give my voice to and, and learn so much from, I'm like, that's, that's when I'm, my mind is blown as a, as an artist. It's, it's such a great gig. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, do you have time for, uh, w- w- one more quick topic on the, uh, on, on voicing sex scenes? Oh yes, totally. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> like one, uh, one topic that, uh, I wanted to ask you about, I actually, I have a little experience in, uh, one, one of my books was, uh, the controversial one was a, uh, erotic kind of dark comedy, sort of part satire. Uh, and I, I, in order to prepare for writing it, I was reading a lot of, uh, erotic scenes cause I, I didn't really have a lot of experience, uh, reading them. And I, I really, I gained throughout the process this book called the princess and the clown. I, I gained a newfound appreciation for just how difficult it is to, to write, compelling uh sex mm-hmm. scenes and i know that you've uh voiced a lot and i wondered if you could uh share share some share some wisdom on, on that front because it's just it's it's such a it's such a difficult realm to to convey uh authentic emotion because i i just i i couldn't imagine how how you uh how you approach that that subject so a phenomenal question this is the this is the end of the podcast question. Let's really own this. So <laughs> again, I'm in the sound booth and I'm in front of a $10,000 microphone and it will pick up everything. And now the part of the story, we are in bed and we are having sex as the man, as the woman, or as the woman and as the woman or as the man and as the, although you normally hire a male narrator, if it's man and man. So I am in the bed. So what's going to happen, right? Now, all of a sudden, my narrator, and I'm saying all of it, I'm describing, and he rips her clothes off and, and her, you know, and she does it. So I'm describing it as the narrator, but now I've got to act it out as the, as I'm just going to say as the man and as the woman, because that's, that's like the last book I did. And, um, the man, the man doesn't say as much as the woman does. My favorite is when the sex scene starts and the woman will just start like having a full conversation with the man. And as the narrator and as a, as like an artist, because the engineer is so fantastic, they'll edit all this out. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you talking in the middle of sex? Just start doing it. (laughs) So then the engineer is like, okay, Therese, are you ready? And I'm like, yes, I'm ready. But why is she talking to him? And he's like, Therese, just do the scene. I'm like, okay, okay. So then I get in there and I come the narrator, you know, the clothes are off and they're in the bed and he's got an erection and she's like ready. And this is the thing I've, this is what I've noticed. There's a lot of plunging 
<laughs> he plunges in okay. her. And there's also a lot <laughs> of vocabulary about the, the anatomy. So there's her pleasure mound. Yeah. And there's her, her pleasure bud and her special center. Like there's all these different ways that, that authors will write these, these things. But if you can take me from the clothes are off and we're in the bed and we have sex, the thing that it's always lacking, and I'm telling you this as a writer, there needs to be more foreplay. Everybody just gets plunged and then they come and then it's done. And they're like, yeah, you want to, you want a glass of wine? Oh, that was amazing. Sometimes it's like one sentence. And then he had his way with her. I'm like, give me the scene. Like I get invested as a person. <laughs> like, Give me the scene. So, so, okay. I've totally gone off on a tangent. What was the original question? <laughs> How do I do the scenes? I, I guess. Yeah. So, well, the, the big thing that I've noticed is it's erotica readers really get invested in, in the, what well, naturally kind of in the way it's presented. So you, you've got to write, write compelling scenes, but I guess with, with something, with something that, that appeals to instant, the, the, that appeals to instincts beyond um you don't you don't really uh you don't you don't really try to you know go to the bar and get picked up so you can have these great sex sounds you're you're trying to go more for like the the base instinct i will and for for an audio yeah go ahead okay well and and they will tell me the narrator will tell me he groans he growls she moans and so sometimes, and I got to be honest with you, I get really into my characters and into my storytelling. So I will bring it to life. And so I'm moaning a little bit and he's groaning. And, it, and so, so, but what's so crazy is that you're doing both genders, right? And so you're like, it's crazy. I, I'm trying to explain this to you. And I'm like, wow, this is insane. Like if anyone just plugged into this podcast at this, at the end, <laughs> they're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? So, so this always, is the key. Always an exciting day on this show. This is the key. The key is to get really close to that microphone and, and make it really intimate. Cause remember, this is what I tell people. You are in someone's earbuds. So if you're like, oh, and then he moaned and then he found her pleasure. Ma like that is not sexy, right? So you gotta get your sexy voice on. You gotta get the sexy voice on and you gotta bring the sexy voice to life gotta bring the characters to life and then you gotta just fucking and he plowed into it oh my god and then you know you gotta come as each one of them and then at the end you go back to like the normal narrator voice you gotta suspend reality so that they feel like they're seeing the movie of you know character here character here bringing it together having some really good love making was that crazy I think we can understand why you're the professional in this. That's very. <laughs> why did I not have, you know what? Next time I do one of these interviews, I'm going to have a full scene. Well, I can't cause it's copyright stuff. So I can't just read a, a scene <laughs> from a book, but I hope you got the gist of what, of what we do. I, I really, yeah, it's, it's so, um, None of my, uh, none of my books have been, uh, done into audiobook. We've thought about it for a couple that, where, where I'm able to kind of push the rights in a way where I want a lot of publishers will buy the audio rights. And then you ask like, Hey, are you planning on doing anything with them? Mm, they'll interesting. just say, well, and it's like, it, it got to a, there was one uh, contract. Uh, I, I was having a, 
I was talking to my agent last year and they wanted the audio book. And I said, well, ask them for their plans uh, for it. And if they don't have something concrete, uh, they can't have them. And they were like, well, well, that's standard. And that's standard that they get them. I'm like, no, it's not some like, you know, I'm not selling the rights to my firstborn child either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a plan for this, then you can't. Have mm-hmm. Good for you. I, I think I think that's uh, standard. They got kind of annoyed with me mm-hmm. um, and we didn't sign the deal. But, um, you know, if if uh, the reason these questions get asked is because um, you, you want to keep those those doors open. And I think that, uh, you know, the the energy even yeah, from from the scene you just kind of described, it, it's clear that you get invested in uh, these characters as well. And it's great that um, with Charlene Harris, that that's her name, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. How you pronounce? Yeah, with Charlene Harris, that uh, you know you can you can do cons together because I mean, when when you bring up the, the thing that I've learned as an author is. A lot of times an editor can suggest things to you. And if it differs from your vision, a lot of times you could say, well, that's that's instinct instinctively like wrong. And one thing I had to say to myself early on is, especially my, my first book, I think I was uh, like 22 when I first worked with my f- first editor. It's like, you know, you're not always right. Mm. And you've got to you got to let other people come into the process and they get invested too. these editors get excited Um and hearing you as an audiobook narrator uh, talk about such uh, talk about your work with such passion, it you know part of uh, part of all of those characters belong to you as well. Yeah, thank you, absolutely, thank you, thank you. They really, really, really do. And I've developed such a beautiful friendship with Robin Carr over the years, and the fact that she trusts me to continue with each series that she writes. We've done Virgin River, Thunder Point. And now Sullivan's Crossing. And she continues to ask for my voice to bring her stories to life. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for trusting me with that. And she just adores them. And that is, thank you for that. That That's that's one of the highest compliments I've received. I really appreciate that. Oh, well, but, uh, but I was able, this discussion was just really, we, we, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we started at Iron Man. We, <laughs> and did uh, the sex scenes. <laughs> And Tony Stark would uh, would love that. That uh, that makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Therez, uh, do you wanna what's what's next up on the uh, docket for you, Therese? We are heading in to do the Jet Setters uh, by Amanda Air Ward for recorded books. I'll be in the studio recording that next week. I'm off this week, having a lovely break for the holiday, and then next week we're doing that, and then. Uh, Next weekend, I'm performing a Christmas carol with my brother. It's he and I do bare bones storytelling in a historic mansion, and we play all the characters. So that's going to be a fun, a fun little uh, month of performing for me. Oh, wow, where where do you guys perform? That? We do that in Milford, Pennsylvania, at a historic mansion called Gray Towers. We've been doing. My brother's been doing it for about 19 years. My father started it as a one man show. He did it for about 35 years. I came on about five years ago, so it's just a little tradition and the same, you know, it's everybody starts their holiday season with it. So it's really fun for us, but to get me out of the sound booth and be able to do characters on stage again, sign me up any day. It's that's my first love. Therese, it's been uh, so great to talk to you. You've got uh, so much uh, coming up with uh, Netflix show on the horizon. Uh, December 6th, I think I saw. Um, yes. And uh, 
so much more in the audiobook world. It's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. You too. My absolute pleasure. Have a wonderful holiday. To everyone listening, uh, happy holidays. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>